Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Tell the Lord you love him, church. Just worship his name. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you, Jesus. You know what? Just for a moment, I just want you to put your minds on Jesus. Just think for a moment, where would you be without him? What would your life look like had he not come into your life? Think about the things that he has saved you from, the things that he has blessed you with. He is so worthy of our praise, church. We cannot afford one moment of time to go by, to be idle in our worship to him. We need to be passionate, on fire for worship, to worship him, to lift his name. He says in his word that if you will lift his name, he will draw all men unto it. He says in his name there is healing and deliverance and forgiveness and salvation. We lift his name because his name is worthy. It's a worthy name. It's a high and lifted up name. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. His name is Jesus. His name is Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He is the one that delivers and sets free. He is the answer to your problem. He is the solution you have been longing for. He has everything you need. And the key that opens that door is inviting his presence in. He will not force the door down. He stands at the door, church, and the Bible says he knocks on the door. And those that open that door, he will come in and he will sup with them. This is not an evangelistic verse. It is a verse to the church. It's a verse to people that know him. He's waiting at the door. He wants to come in. He wants to sup with you. He wants to know you. But if the door remains closed, he will not bust it down. He's waiting for you to open the door. You say, how do I open it? You open it through worship. You lift your hands. I I don't like, lift them anyway. Lift your hands. Church, lift your hands right now. Worship him. He's worthy of that praise. He's worthy. Surrender to him. He'll heal your body. He'll provide for your need. He will open your mind to know. He will give you wisdom. He will help you. He will bring children home. He will rescue you because he is that kind of God. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. Can you say amen? Oh, thank you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated this morning. Man, I'll tell you what. God is good, isn't he? Did you feel his presence in that worship service? I know I felt his presence, and I I just am excited for what God is doing. Before we get into our sermon today, I want to, uh, uh, I've got a couple announcements that they asked me to share that just didn't get into the system. First off, I want to remind everybody, Wednesday night service, we have a great time on Wednesday nights. Amen. You say, you have church on Wednesday? Absolutely. It's hump day. It's the day where you're going, you know what? I need something to get me over this hump. How many know? 
And it's like, man, come on out. We have a great time. Pastor Wilson is going to be ministering. He's going to be ministering part two of his sermon, Radical Acceptance. And I'm going to tell you, he's got something to say, and it will minister to you. And also, we want to make known, uh, just so that everybody knows about it, tonight's uh, fellowship, uh, how he called it, the eating party, right? That's what you said. We're going to put, we're going to eat. Amen. That is for everyone. There is no age limit on that. So just come on out, be a part. Sometimes, I, I don't know why we do things by age. Who cares? Age is a number, right? I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. You know, I, I, I remember back in the day when, when uh, we used to back way, way, way back, we had a thing called the Nifty 50s. And, and you know, it was, it was for folks that were 50 and above. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, who wants to go out and hang out with the old timers? I'm now 53. <laughs> I'm, I'm three years into the Nifty 50s, and I'm like, you know what? Let's have a party, man. Yeah. You know, the problem with getting old, here's the problem with getting old. My mind is still 20. My body is going, you ain't 20. <laughs> Oh, man. And also, um, this time of year, um, you, if you've been in church any length of time here at Praise Chapel, you know that every year, uh, Gary and Mary Christopher, um, uh, they gather um, jackets for underprivileged uh, children in town, people that, that uh, don't have the money to buy jackets. Uh, they, we used to have you take it to their business, Homestyle Furniture, but they are retired. They sold the business, and so uh, that's good for them. So what we're doing is having uh, the drop-off place here at Praise Chapel. So if you'd like to donate a jacket, they, they need to be new with the tags in them so that we can deal with them, um, and then we'll uh, make sure they get to kids that, that need them. So mark that down. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, and we're going to get to this in a minute, so don't put it on the screen, and just get your finger in your Bible or get your electronic device, or those of you that are home watching via Facebook, uh, you can open your Bible up or whatever device you have. It's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, and we'll get to that here in a minute. You know, it's this has been such a uh, blessing to me to to uh, do this series. We've been in this series for a little bit of time now, and I've really felt like the Holy Spirit has really orchestrated this because this is such an important subject and topic, and it's a topic that often gets very distorted and muted and challenged, and there's lots of controversy. And so what happens is, is, is when there's that kind of thing around a subject, most of the time what happens is we just don't talk about it. You know, it's like, well, you know, that's just too complicated. Don't talk about it. I think that's very dangerous. I think when we get a subject that's complicated, what we should do is we should learn about it. Amen. So that we know, so that we can be right with it. Can you say amen? Now, here's the thing that I think is ironic. That in most Pentecostal churches, um, you will find that very little is taught about the Holy Spirit and about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, they will talk about it, but they don't do a lot of teaching on it. They, they don't really. So what happens is people, unfortunately, are left on their own to discover the power of the Holy Spirit, to discover the gifts and the working that he does in and through people. And they're left on their own to discover these things. And then the unintended consequences is that much of the time there are distortions 
and flaws, and they kind of go sideways, and they, they get off into places they shouldn't, and there's abuses and that kind of thing. And so what happens is, is people want to, you know, they go, ah, let's, let's just shy away from that. That's kind of like going home and turning all the power off in your house and going, okay, there, we're safe. I don't want to get electrocuted. You know that, electri- that electricity's got some power to it. Well, you're right, but we've, we've designed things for it to be safe. Amen? So we go, just because electricity can kill you, you don't turn it off. What you do is you, you, you design it in such a way that it's not going to hurt you. Amen? And so what you do is you teach, you, you, you talk about it, you get the right information. That's why one of the things that we're striving for here is, you know, you, some people go, well, it could be all spirit. Well, when you're all spirit, you're flaky. <laughs> or we go, oh, well, it's need. We got to have the word. We got to have the word. Yeah, you're right. But if it's all word, you end up religious. So what we need is we need a proper balance of spirit and word. We need to bring those two together because when we bring those together, what happens is we become effective. Because now the word gives us something to anchor in. It gives us something to remain stable. It gives us something to launch from so that we're always brought back to the place that we need to be. So this is not a subject we need to shy away from. This is a subject that we need to embrace with correct teaching. Can you say amen? And that's why I believe that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. He says, I don't want you ignorant about this. And it's really interesting in this portion of Scripture, if you look at this in the original text, the word gift, is not there. That was a word that was later inserted to give us better understanding. So the original context or the original phrasing of this statement was now concerning spiritual, I don't want you to be ignorant. See, there's a lot more to the spiritual than just the gifts. Amen. The reality is, is Jesus dwells in our heart by his spirit. The working of the Spirit moves me from place to place. The working of the Spirit touches my life. He, is, he guides me. He leads me. He comforts me. He corrects me. The working of the Spirit is much more than just the scary things. So somewhere along the line, what we've got to do is have correct understanding. Don't be ignorant. What Paul is saying is, I don't want you to be misinformed. I don't want you to be misled. I don't want you to have misunderstanding. I don't want you to ignore this through reluctance or hesitation. Amen. Amen. See, we cannot, we cannot ignore this. This is too important. Make no mistake about it. This morning, the gifts and the Holy Spirit and his working and all that he does is far more vital to our becoming who God created us to be than we've previously believed. We need this, and I'm going to show you this here in just a minute. We need this. In Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, and these signs will follow those who believe. 
He says, those that believe, he says, these signs, he says, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. It didn't say these signs will follow the evangelist or these signs will follow the pastor or the missionary or the very special Christian. This said, these signs will follow them that believe. How many here believe? Raise your hand if you believe. Amen. Though that, so there is an expectation in the word of God from Jesus that because or as a result of your belief system, there should be certain signs that follow you. And one of those is speaking in tongues. One of those is healing the sick, setting the captive free. It was literally the carrying on of the ministry that Jesus both began to do and teach. Amen. If you remember, he was in the temple and he said this. He, he, he was, went in and he read out of the book of Isaiah. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To set the captive free. To open blind eyes. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He says, you know what? That was what God sent me to do. And then in Acts, the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 1, it says, Oh, Theophilus, I'm writing to you of the things that Jesus both began to do and teach. He, he began it. We finish it. Come on now. And then what he said, Jesus said this, These things that I do, greater shall you do, because I go with to the Father. And the reason he said that is because he knew that he was going to send the Spirit back and that the Spirit would empower us like he empowered him, but at a level that even he didn't do. Come on now. I mean, you need to grab that thinking. I'm not making these words up. Jesus is the one that said, it's better that I go. How in the world can it ever be better that Jesus would go? Because he understood that he was going to live in us through his Spirit and accomplish more in us than he could with us. Are you you catching the language there? He can accomplish more in us and through us than just being with us. Are you hearing me? And then we become the conduit. We become the vessel of this power. And it's time for us this morning to let the Holy Spirit out of the closet and let him empower us through his moving and through his gifts. Now, before we really get into this, there's a couple things that I want to make clear. And the reason that I'm doing this, you need to understand that what I'm doing is intentional. Okay? What I'm doing is continuing to build a foundation. And the reason that it's intentional that I build a foundation is because oftentimes this stuff does get a little squirrely. I'll just be honest with you. I, hey, I've been in church. I've been in a lot of churches. I've been in dead, dry, dark, nasty churches before. I mean, it, I, dry bones. I've been in churches. It's like, is anything alive in this place? Right. <laughs> and then I've been in churches that it's like, yeehaw, man, they're going to have a time. <laughs> and neither of them are right. Now, listen to me. That's why we need a foundation. And so I want to say these things, I want to communicate these things to you so that we are, we are anchored to what is necessary to keep us effective in his moving. Amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. 
So before we get started, what I want to say to you is there are three very basic reasons why we need these gifts. And the first one is because you'll be satisfied. You need to understand this. The first reason is that there there is a level of satisfaction. There's a a level of understanding. See, when you begin to operate in the gifts that God's given you, you begin to see and understand the unique and indispensable place that you occupy in the body of Christ. Now, let me tell you something. This is probably against or it comes against popular belief systems, but listen to me. Every person in this room today has a calling. Amen. Not all of you are called to be pastors. Not all of you are called to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and all of that stuff. But every person in this room, if you are breathing air right now, you have a spot, you have a purpose, you have a place to function in the body. The great illustration in the word of God is that we are the body of Christ. And Paul goes to great lengths explaining the body. That every part, even those that are unseen, are deserving of greater honor. He says, look at even parts of the body that nobody ever sees, they deserve great honor. So he goes to great lengths to explain that everybody matters. But oftentimes in Christianity, we show up into church as if we don't matter. And what the gifts do, when they are revealed into your life and they begin to function, you begin to see that your life can make a difference. That you actually can contribute to the whole. That you actually have a place to function. That you fit here. Here's the thing. The Bible says that God places in the body as it pleases him. Now, here's the hard part. Not as it pleases you. Right? Yeah, no kidding. You say, you say, what do you mean, Pastor? I, hey, if I was going to design what I wanted, I wouldn't be here. God, come on now. No, I, there's natural beauty in the desert. I really love the desert to visit. Right. What I like is, see, I'm a cave dweller. I like rain. I like rain. I like clouds. I like snow. I like colorful leaves. I like green. I was born and raised in Michigan, and God brought me out here. And I've questioned him a lot about it. But he says, this is where I want you, John. I want you here because there's a purpose for you here. I designed you to be here. And you know what? There is natural beauty in that. And there is satisfaction in that that goes beyond my simple desire. Because when I begin to operate in my gifts, I begin to operate at a level that I can't do on my own. All of a sudden, there's something that's tangible that, that makes me feel, it makes me feel larger than life. It's a, it energizes and invigorates me. That's the point of the gifts. There's another thing that the gifts do, and the reason it edifies others. Do you know that's the point of the gifts? Do you understand the gifts were never given to you for you? They were given for others. There's only one gift that works for you. That's the speaking in tongues. Everything else has been given for the benefit of others, the benefit of the whole. The reason that God puts them in you is because he has an expectation that you will use them in the work of serving others. 
There's a whole sermon right there. And we may have to preach that sermon. See, church, we need... You, you want to know the fastest way out of depression? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you a clue. Go serve somebody. When you're bummed out, the reason you're bummed out is because you've got your eyes on you. When you get your eyes off you and get them on somebody else, your problems become very small. It's true. Even problems that have real teeth to them. See, the problem is, is what we do is we get so caught up in our world. We get caught up in, you know, it's all about me, how I feel. No, we got to get caught up in someone else's world because then God's caught up in mine. He says, you pay attention to someone else and I'll pay attention to you. See, I would rather have God paying attention to me than me paying attention to me. He's a whole lot better at it. So the gifts are used so that, one, I can be satisfied. Two, that I can be an edification, that I can edify others. And the third reason is that God will be glorified. I'm satisfied. People are edified, and God is glorified. In 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, it says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The working of the gifts in my life, the fact that they're working out through me to you, the fact that I am being satisfied and you're being edified glorifies God. Are you catching that? See, when you begin to understand this, God really does have a great system, doesn't he? See, this is not about this, you know. You know. Okay, I got to move on. Spirits, listen. <laughs> Spiritual gifts are given to us so that we can be empowered to do what God's called us to do. See, so many times I talk to Christians and they go, I know God wants me to do something, but I just, I don't have the ability. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. The reason why is because it never was about you. Do you understand a water pipe cannot quench my thirst, but a water pipe can deliver what will. That would be like a glass looking at me, a cup looking at me and going, I can't do nothing about your thirst. He's right. If that cup could talk, he's right. Could be a her. But what's in it can quench my thirst. And that's what we've got to understand. Spiritual gifts must be developed. Think about, just for a moment, think about the, the, the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents, in that story, what happens is the master comes to three servants. And the Bible says this, that the master is going to go on a long, faraway journey. So he's going to be gone a while. So he delivers to each one of his servants a talent according to each man's ability. So in other words, each man was given something that was not their own, but it was, in, it was in context and it was within keeping of their natural ability to steward it. And then the Bible says the master goes to a faraway land 
And the Bible says that they, these men were given this talent, this ability, this gift. And the expectation was that they would do something with it. Because when the master came back, he brought them in to hold them account. He wanted to find out what did they do with what was given to them. And the one with five said, I created or got five more. I developed it into ten. The one with three, he says, I made it grow and I developed it into three more, six. And the one with one... He came in and he says, you know what? I knew that you were a hard man. And I knew that you would oftentimes sow or you would reap where you had not sown. And I knew that you would not be fair. So what I did is I took what was given to me. And because of fear, because I was afraid of you, I buried it in the ground and I did nothing with it. I didn't put it at risk. So what I did is hit it so that when you came back, I could give you back what was yours. And the most stern and, and intense rebuke that was ever given was given to that man by Jesus. Why? Because he was evil? No. Because he simply did nothing with what was in him, what was given to him. That's been on my heart for years. It's been on my heart that what I would be is a good steward of the manifold grace. You know, the word grace is where we get the word gift. The grace that has been given to me, that I might be a good and faithful servant. Can you say amen? That I would take it and I would use it for his glory. That in it I can be satisfied and you could be edified. And so therefore I have to develop it. So how do I do that? Well, there's three things. I develop it first by exercise. There's nothing in this life that ever grows or develops without use. Seeds do not grow unless you plant them. You can have the best seeds in the world, but if they stay in the package, they're going to just be seeds. You have to develop it. You have to cause them to grow. You have to plant them. The reality is today there's lots of people that are hanging on to the gifts that God is giving you. You won't use it because you're afraid. You're like the guy with one talent. Because you know what? Developing gifts take a risk. Because church, listen to me. You're going to make mistakes. Look at, the, you know, I've been pastoring for over 30 years now, a little bit over 30 years, and I can tell you the list of things not to do is a lot longer than the, things, the list of things to do. I've said things from this pulpit that I've had to change. I made a mistake. I remember a funny one, a funny story is, I remember for years of my life, for years of my life, I've preached, I've got sermons that have these notes in it. That when Paul encountered Jesus on the road uh, to Damascus, that he was knocked off his donkey. <laughs> Seriously, I, I preached it. I'm, I'm just like, you know, yeah, he was knocked off his donkey, hit the ground, you know, blinded eyes, all that. And I preached it, preached it, preached it, preached it. One, well, about, uh, probably about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, I was preaching that here. And I used that example. And I said, yeah, you know, and I'm operating in my gift. I study. I've read, I've read the Bible once. <laughs> times a thousand. I've read it a couple times. I've studied. I look up words. I go for theology, all of that. And I was convinced that Paul got knocked off his donkey. Well, this little woman comes up, very nice, sweet little woman after service, comes up, meets me right here. This, is, this X marks the spot right there. Meets me right there. 
And she says to me, Pastor, she goes, you know that whole story about Paul getting knocked off his donkey? That's not true. I said, no, no, it's true. It's in the Bible. It's in the book of Acts. You know, I was, I was ready to get my Bible out. And she goes, no, no, there's no donkey in there. I said, well, it must have been a horse then. You know, it was a horse or, I don't know, maybe it was a camel. It was some four-legged thing. I don't know. But he got knocked off of something. She goes, no, no. I went, what? She goes, no, go check it out. And I did. I left. I went right to my office, got my, got my Bible out, went right to the book of Acts and read it. And sure enough, there ain't even a dog in it. There's nothing. He ain't riding a thing. He gets knocked off his feet. And so what's funny is, you know, that's one of the things. Don't preach on Paul getting knocked off his donkey. That's on the list of what not to do. I learned that by experience. What's funny is we were at a conference. Kathy and I, two weeks ago, were at a conference. And the guy that's speaking, he's a guy that's known all over the world. And, you know, he's a high-end preacher and all that. He's preaching. And he goes, yeah, when Paul was knocked off his donkey. And I elbowed Kathy. He goes, no, he wasn't. He wasn't knocked off his donkey. He wasn't. See, we learn by making mistakes. And if you're afraid to make a mistake, it's like, you know, I hear this all the time. Well, you know what? You better be right. It better be God. You know what? When somebody walks up to you and goes, it better be God, you go, oh, my God, what am I going to I'm not God. God's a big God. And he ain't afraid. So use it. Exercise it. Listen to this verse of scripture, Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. He says, for though by now you should be teachers, you need somebody to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. That first part of that, that, that passage of scripture is talking about people that are immature. He goes on and he says, but... Solid food belongs to those who are full age. Or Now he's talking about mature people, and he's going to define who they are. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So mature people are people who exercise what's inside them. They use it. Few amens. Come on. That's good preaching right there. How are you going to develop the gift? Exercise it. The second way is by evaluation. You need to be secure enough to be able to let the person come up and tell you that Paul didn't get knocked off the donkey. Amen. I have a friend. He's here right now, so I won't point him out. But he holds me accountable to the word. He does. He gets my notes from time to time. He'll go, I need to get your notes. i got to study to see if you're preaching right. It's really. I said, just trust me. He goes, I do, but I need to check your notes out. You say, do you, does that bother you? No. I welcome it. I welcome it. I want him to examine. I, I want him to evaluate me. Why? Because I don't always, you know, you know, when you're driving down the road, you know what the worst thing to do is? is assume nobody's in your blind spot. Right. Everybody has blind spots. I have them, and I've noticed the bigger I get, the bigger the blind spot is. 
So I need people to point out that in my life there could be things that are wrong and I might be doing something wrong. I have other friends that that come to me and they encourage me. I told you about that last week. There are people that speak to me and they evaluate and they look at me and they say, hey, John, this is what you need to do. (laughs) I've had several people just recently come to me and I'll, I'll just share this. They've come to me and they say, man, you are so much better when you're not in your notes. When you don't follow your notes, your preaching is so much better. Do you notice I ain't looking at the notes much? You know why? Because there ain't none. All there is up here is scripture. He said, why are you doing that? Because somewhere along the line, see, a guy told me a long time ago, he says, John, if you want to water a lot of sheep, dig a deep well. I took his advice. I dug a deep well. And you know what? Now, through my friends and those that have to do with my life, through exercise and evaluation, I'm getting better and better and better and better. And you know what? Something is happening. And that's how you develop. And the third thing is by education. 2 Timothy 2, 15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He says this, that somewhere along the line you need to study, you need to, you need to look into these things. What do you believe and why do you believe it? Well, my pastor says, who says he's right? <laughs> Seriously, don't take my word for it. Say, well, you're our pastor. You're right, I am. And I'm going to do my very best to give you the very best I have. But that does not mean I'm perfect. What it means is I'm going to do my very best, but what it should do is encourage you to study, to deepen your well, to find out why do you believe what you believe? Why do you hold? Some people go, well, you know what? The gifts, all of that ceased. How do you know? Well, so-and-so said it. How do you know he's right? Yeah. Come on. Study. Find out. Ask hard questions. Study to show yourself approved. So let's move on with this. Because what I want to do is I want to bring this down. And I want to actually start dealing with the gifts a little bit. We've set this foundation. Now we're here. We want to deal with the gifts, and and we want to move on. Now, you need to know that there are a lot of gifts. If you talk about the gifts of the Father or the gifts of the Son or gifts of the Spirit, there's some 37 different gifts. Now, it would take too long to really go through all of those, so we want to focus a little bit, and we want to focus on the gifts of the Spirit because that's what we're, we're shooting for right now. And there are nine gifts of the Spirit, and they're divided up into three categories. And the first category is called the vocal gifts, and that's what we're going to look at. And that's why I love our text so much. So if you've got your Bible, turn over to 1 Corinthians 14. I know you're thinking in your mind, my God, that was the introduction. <laughs> no. We're halfway through this. Three, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're, eating, we're eating at six. That's how he, how he says, we're eating at six. All right, I got you till 10 to 6. There you go. No, we're about three-quarters of the way through. It's crazy. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting in verse 1. You can put it up on the board. It says this, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And I want to stop there for a moment because I, I want you to see something. Because in this 
portion of scripture, the vocal gifts, which are tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophesying, they're all spoken of here. They're all defined here. They're all the, in this portion of scripture, we find the, the context and the atmosphere they're supposed to work in. We find out what they mean to us and what they mean to the body of Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at. So this first phrase says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. So love, this, this pursue love, this phrase, this is the first thing that is said in, in chapter 14 right after 13. 13 is the love chapter, and you find that right in the middle of chapter 12 and 14, which is the explanation of all the gifts. And what that is telling us today is that the gifts of the Spirit, they operate in an atmosphere of love. And so when the gifts are operating outside of love, they become, at very best, just noise, or at worst, very dangerous. So you need to understand that if you're going to operate in gifts, then you've got to operate. You've got to pursue. You have to run hard after love. Can you say amen? But then he goes on and he says, desire spiritual gifts. This word desire, when you define it from a negative point of view, it literally means jealousy. It's that thing that is intense. It wants to make it its own. It wants to pull it in and nothing else exclusive. And so what he's saying is, he's saying, look, this is a very positive thing. I want you to be very intense about your desire. I want you to go after gifts. That's what Paul's writing. And then he goes on, he says, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren... If I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? So in this portion of scripture, we find the three vocal gifts, tongues, interpretation, and prophesying. Now what I love here is in verse 2, it says these words, he, he says this, for if he who speaks in a tongue, does, he, or he says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. In the Message Bible, it says it this way. If you praise him in the private language of tongues, God understands you, but no one else does. For you are sharing intimacies between you and him. That's what you have to understand, first of all, about tongues. Tongues is between you and God. Okay? So what does that mean? That means it is a language that only God understands. You don't even understand it. But it is a dynamic that is at work that is a demonstration. It is also an encouragement and a seedbed for intimacy with God. Think about it for a moment. Kathy and I have been married a long time. And we have a language that's our own. 
Some of that language represents a mem- shared memories that nobody knows about or inside jokes that nobody knows about. But it's a reflection of our intimacy. It's a reflection of our relationship. And sometimes we smile or wink or nod our head. It's, but it's a little bit of a language that's between me and her. And no one else shares in it. That's what tongues is. Tongues edifies you. Tongues builds you up. In Jude chapter or Jude verse 20, it says, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the spirit. That's what tongues does. That's what it's for. It's to build you up. He goes on and even talks about in Romans chapter 8, in verse 26, he says that the spirit prays through us with groanings that cannot be uttered. In other words, this is a prayer language. This is, this is something that takes place that's intelligible to me. I don't understand it, but God does understand it. And the process builds me up. That's what tongues is all about. But sometimes what happens in this portion of scripture is people want to forbid speaking in tongues in church because of the dynamic of interpretation, which is another gift. Now listen, he's not talking about forbidding to speak in tongues. He's saying be aware of the audience. Who are you speaking to? See, if I come to you today and I'm looking at you from this pulpit and I begin to speak in tongues to you, the Bible is very clear that I need to pray that there is an interpreter. Otherwise, my speaking in tongues is unfruitful for everyone else but me. It doesn't benefit you. It doesn't edify you. He says, so pray that there would be an interpreter. But better yet, he goes on, he says, pray that you would interpret. He says, so if you're going to speak in tongues addressing people, you need to make sure that you have an interpreter. But if you're speaking in tongues talking to God, then that's between you and him. Now, here's the thing. People have asked me, they said, well, you know, can I speak in tongues in church? Yes. As long as you're not addressing the people. But what about worship? What about that? Well, see, that's where what we have to do is we have to understand the crowd we're in. What we have to do is be sensitive to the people around us. Because what we need to do is we need to make sure that if there are people around us that may not understand the dynamic of tongues or this may be something that they're misinformed about or or don't have any teaching or training in, then we need to be sensitive because this is not about me. This is about serving people. And so if I'm in a room where there are people that don't know anything about tongues, then you know what? I'm probably not going to speak in tongues because that's for me and God. That would be like if me and Kathy started making out on the front row. That ain't for you. That's for me. Now, let me me show you this. Now, that doesn't mean that I have not been affectionate with my wife at church. Think about this for a moment. I've put my arm around Kathy. I've held her hand. And you know what? I've even given her a kiss. A church kiss. Very different. One time she was walking away and I just patted her. I was looking around though. I was making sure nobody was watching. Why? Why would I? Why? First of all, is making out with her, for me to make out with her, is that wrong? No. She's my wife, 33 years have been my wife. <laughs> Ain't no making out going for a while now, is there? No, but I can. It's not wrong. But I need to be sensitive to you. 
So now if I'm in a room of people where they know me, you know, it's not. But the reality is the intensiveness of it is going to be determined by who's watching. Are you hearing me? So now somewhere along the line in, in the midst of a church setting, if we're all got our hands up and we're worshiping God, and you know what? I begin to softly speak in tongues. That's appropriate because I'm being sensitive to the people around me. I'm not speaking to them, number one. And number two, I'm aware of who knows what. And if I know I'm going to be an offense, I'm not going to put a stumbling block out in front of my brother. I'm going to care about him more than I care about me. Are you hearing me? Amen. So I want to keep this in balance. But that, see, Paul says, I don't forbid anybody to speak in tongues. What I'm telling you to do is be a servant to people. Amen. That's the whole context of chapter 14. He's not saying stop. He's not saying throw it away. He says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. And he says, in fact, I speak in more of it than you do. You can look it up. It's in those chapters. But he, what he's saying is, is you need to be sensitive because what was happening in the Corinthian church is that they were going crazy. They were becoming fruity because they weren't anchored in the word. Yeah. It, they were thinking this was making them spiritual. See, the gifts of the spirit doesn't make you spiritual. They make you gifted. Amen. It does not make you superior. Right. It just makes you effective. Right. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so what we've got to do is we've got to come back to that thing called love because love serves. Do you hear me? So I'm not afraid to speak in tongues when it's appropriate. I remember a while back going into the hospital and praying for some people, and I happened to know that their background was not Pentecostal at all. I knew they, the, and, and the person that was in the hospital was terminal. They were dying, and they needed desperate prayer. Now, I could have went in there, and I could have flexed myself. I could have, you know, puffed up and said, well, I'm going to pray in tongues. But I didn't because, you know, I can pray in the Spirit in English too. Are you hearing me? Somewhere along the line, what we've got to understand is that what Paul is doing is giving us balance. But what he's teaching us is that this gift of tongues is a beautiful, intimate language that I have between me and my Father. And he says, now, however... If you're addressing the Father, don't worry about it. Just be sensitive. But now, if you're going to speak to people, if you're going to do it in tongues, you better have an interpreter. And that's a gift. There is a gift of interpretation of tongues. And he goes so far as to say that I'm going to hold you accountable. Don't look for an interpreter. Pray that you are one. Pray that you give the message. He goes, but better yet, he goes, prophesy. Because you know what? He says prophecy will benefit everyone in the room. He says because prophecy is for edification, encouragement, and comfort. Are you hearing me? This word edification, it it literally means to build up. That's what it means. So if I come to Howie and I look at Howie and I go, hey, dude, you are the man. You know what, I just appreciate you so much. You, you're so committed to the word of God. You study and you, you do these things and you preach so well and you're faithful and you're loyal. You know what I'm doing is I'm building him up. That's prophesying. See, the gift of prophecy is different than the office of prophet. Office of prophet. You need to understand that. That's, that's, that's the advanced course. But listen, Bill, he's building up. So edification... And then exhortation. You know what exhortation is? It's being a coach. 
It's coming along somebody that just fumbled the ball and saying, get up and run again. Come on, you can do this. You're able. Don't stop. Don't quit. Keep going. And comfort, you know what comfort is? Comfort, that word comfort in the Greek is the Greek word paraclete. It's the same thing as Holy Spirit. It's coming alongside and bearing, shouldering the burden of another. That's what prophecy does. See, and, and somewhere along the line, that's what he's saying edifies the church. All of those are spoken. And all of those, see, are there some people, have you ever met a person that is just so encouraging? You met them, you just love being around them. Why? Because they just make you feel so good. Chances are those people have a gift. They have a gift of prophecy in their life. Why? Because that's how God functions. That's what God does. And somehow, somewhere along the line, what happens is we get this so embroiled in controversy that we actually start throwing it out. When God says, look, this is made to build the church. Did you know the Bible says in, in Revelations 19, it says that the, uh, the testimonies of Jesus are as the spirit of prophecy. You say, what does that mean? See, when you testify, think about this. When you testify about what Jesus has done in your life, why are you doing it? Two reasons. One, you want to share with people what Jesus has done for you. And you have an expectation that he will do it for them. That's prophetic. That means God will do it again. It hasn't happened yet, but he'll do it for you. That's prophecy. That's a gift. So tongues is for you. Tongues is that thing that you do. It's that prayer language when you don't know what to say, when you don't know what to think, what to do. You don't know how to get this done. You can pray. I, Pastor Alex was telling me a story about a time when he was on staff in a church in Colorado Springs. And the pastor that was there, he was a missionary and an evangelist, and he traveled the world, and, and he, he did lots of revivals and stuff. And, and he told him, this pastor told Pastor Alex that every time he goes into a place before he preaches, he gets alone with God and will spend 45 to 30 minutes just praying in tongues. And he says, the reason I do that is he says, I have found that that changes the atmosphere of the revival. And really what is happening is it changes him. See, one of the things that I have learned in the last few months, maybe last year, is that my atmosphere, what I think about me, what my, the, the, my confidence level, my, the atmosphere that's working in me ultimately works out here when I'm preaching and when I'm building myself up in my most holy faith it translates to you Amen. so even the gift that was meant to build me up can build you up that's what he's doing he's building the church he's empowering the church this is not controversial in God's mind. It's fundamental. Are you hearing what I'm saying? These realities are so powerful and so necessary. I find that 
too often I'm counseling people, people that call into the church or people that walk in or people that go to church. And these are people, they can, they can be, they're not always, but they can be people that have been around a long, long time. They've been in Christianity a long, long time. And they just don't have any answer for their problems. And I think to myself, why is that? Why is it that we just have no answer? And part of it's because of the fact that what we've done is we have completely cut, our, cut ourselves off from the power supply. We've, because we just said, you know, it's too much, it's too scary, it's too weird, it's too this. When you bring it back into the Word of God and see how it operates, it's no longer weird. And when you allow it to be what God intended it to be, it is almost very natural yes. to who we are as Christians. And I'm telling you, it will change. God will speak to you. God will, God will have a conversation. He'll drop things into your heart. He will, he will cause the word of God to come alive for you. Do you know the Bible says that the Bible can only be understood spiritually? It has to be spiritually interpreted. The reason that a lot of people don't understand it is because they've completely resisted the Holy Spirit and they're not being led by him through it. And so church, this is why I say to you, this is so vitally important that we get this because it is about what God wants to do. Does, can, it, can it get strange? It can. Can it get uncomfortable? It can. When God shows up, sometimes strange things happen. Sometimes donkeys talk. I, I have no rhyme or reason for that. I don't even understand it. It's one of those things that make me go, hmm. Oh, I guess all I could say to you is if you go home and you have a donkey and he's talking, listen. But even with him, he better be speaking the word. Church, I, what I've tried to do, and, and I'll continue, I don't know if we have one or two more sermons yet. God hadn't really shown me, but what I've tried to do in this sermon, in this series, is demystify the Holy Spirit. What I've tried to do is take, take it, I, you know, I can tell you that it can get crazy. I, w I won't deny that. And when I say crazy, it can get to the point where you're going, my Lord, what is this about? But even in those moments when it's beyond our ability to completely understand, it's not, it's not frightening. It's not frightening. Because God's there. And he's a good father. He's a good dad. He does, he goes, he tells young Timothy, he says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Love, power, and a sound mind. They go together, love first, power second, sound mind next. Are you hearing me? He says, that's what I've given you. I haven't given you fear. So I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, for every person in this church, God. I pray that you would ignite them. I pray, Lord, the fire of the Holy Spirit would rise up. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd help and minister. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the time we've had together. And I thank you, God, that you are showing us. You are opening your word to us and making it real. I pray, God, that you help us in this. Father, I take authority over hell that would 
come against us that would try to distort us. And Father, I release your grace today. I wonder, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you say, that's me, Pastor, would you raise your hand very quickly? Would you raise it up and say, I need salvation. I need Jesus in my life. If that's you today. Rededication. Salvation. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I am so thankful for you today, church. You can look up at me. I love this church. I love you so much. And I'm so glad for you. I'm proud of you people. I'm proud of you. I am proud to call myself your pastor, to be your friend, and to serve the Lord with you. And even though that I don't always like the desert, I love being here with you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet all across this place. Our ministry team is coming up. If you have need of any kind of prayer, come on up and let them pray for you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.